With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to the Utah Man Podcast. Bringing you the latest news and analysis for your Utah Utes. Now your hosts, Cameron, Ryan, and Scott. Welcome on into the Utah Man Podcast. On this episode, the Utes beat the Husky of NIU. We look ahead to Idaho State and maybe a little USC in there. And we talk to fan favorite, former Ute, K. Scott. Kenneth Scott, I'm Cameron, and we got Ryan. Hey, Ute Nation. It's good to be back from Hurricaneville. And Scott. Looking right into the eye of the storm. I know a lot of people were concerned Ryan did make it back. It was a little bumpy. <laughs> <laughs> a little touch and go, but he made it. It's a little bumpy, just like uh, the co-eds down on the weekend in Provo. So Utah gets the win over Northern Illinois, 35-17. to 17. It didn't start out very pretty. A lot of missed assignments on defense. NIU scored first. They went up 7-0. Uh, but luckily Utah's offense started finding a good rhythm. They, they kept themselves in the game because the defense... They came out of the gates pretty slow to start the game. Yeah, they did, which surprised. I mean, I think the first the first series they they had the NIU had the ball and and we stopped them three and out, which looked good. And then we get the ball and go three and out, and I was like, oh man! And then they get the, after gaining eight on the first play. Yes, <laughs> yes. And then they get the ball and march like eighty nine yards and score, and I was like, oh boy, we're in for a we're in for it today. And the first half, they really competed. Obviously, in the second half, we with the adjustments and and better play shut them out, uh, which was which was good. But yeah, and I use a good team. I mean, I I think a lot of us, including me, I picked the score forty five to ten. Uh, thought it would be a more dominant performance by Utah. Well, NIU is probably, I mean, I, and I'm not trying to throw shade here, but legitimately probably the the best P a G5 team that we've played in a decade. They are very well coached. They've got really good athletes, a really good defense. But they came ready to play. And the and the thing is, they've played a lot of a lot of big time teams over the years and beaten a fair number of them. So they're they're not coming into Rice Eccles scared and and uh you know, not believing that they could win. And they they showed that in the first half. They were they were impressive. Well, and their quarterback Bowers played at Cal started a whole year, a year and a half at Cal, so he has that experience. Well, Cal, Cal on offense doesn't really count as, as P5, but... <laughs> but he has the experience of going into stadiums like a rice for sure. uh Just further your point, Scott, with that team. But their defense is their calling card. It, they're a good defensive team. They've now gone 17 games without allowing a rusher over 100 yards. Well, and it's the second year in a row they've they've given us fits. Especially that D line, Kyle talked about it again. They did the same thing last year. They they threw guys, they threw linebackers in in all the holes, and they 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 were blitzing for, for the run. They were blitzing for the pass, and and Kyle alluded to it uh, 
on Saturday after the game, today in his press conference, the offensive line did not do a, a real good job of picking those up and uh, and creating more time and, and space uh, for really any of the running backs to, to get some consistent hole. So NIU came in, they played really well. Yeah, that the defense just did not look ready to play. And Bradley and I mentioned that post game. They were they they didn't come out with that urgency, and and they were pretty upset about it at halftime. And and you saw in the second half when they really focused in and and they played a whole, they played a lot better, held uh, NIU from scoring. So a much better performance in the second half. You're going to kind of get those, I think, a little bit. But I, I think Utah came out the same way the fan base came out. It was kind of just lame to start uh, to start that game. There was not a vibe for the first. Typically, I'm still in bed on 11 a.m. on a Saturday. <laughs> Mr. Peace, really? <laughs> that's his his afternoon nap. <laughs> oh, that's true. He's, he's already I've gotten up and had breakfast and then gone back to bed. You've already had two glasses of warm milk by that time. <laughs> Sucking on some butterscotch candies unwrapped it from your pocket. It was quite the conversation on Twitter after the game amongst. Uh, Amongst Ute fans about the 11 a.m. kickoff, the heat, the crowd. I don't know if we really want to dive into it, but uh, Whittingham doesn't. <laughs> no, and David James, David James tried, tried to get him to bite uh, today in the press conference, but no, it was just there. There wasn't much energy. The fans, obviously, it wasn't it wasn't full. It was bl- it was hot for. And here, here's my here's my take on it, right? We are so used to 8 p.m. starts, the sun's down, it's cool. And the stadium's full. We're just not used to this hot weather football stuff. We've been been Conditioned. conditioned by Larry Scott and his minions that football only happens in darkness and in cold. So us Ute fans, we need a little bit of time. After to, after sitting out there in the heat, I'll take the eight p.m. I'll, I'll kickoff. Take the 8 p.m. I'll t- although it did sound a little like Kyle came around on it, right? Because Saturday he was like, "Every game at ten or eleven, this is the greatest thing under the sun." Today he said, "Well, it's kind of hard for our fans. I get that, and you know, sure we like it this way, but I'm not sure that's that's how it's going to be." So I think uh, maybe his wife straightened him out a little bit over the weekend and. Uh, um, but it it was a different experience that we really just don't get a whole lot here because it we're was. so accustomed to these late starts. And, and I'm joking about I'd take the eight o'clock because starting at eight or eight thirty and getting home at one or one thirty is awful. But in September and early October, I'll take late games. I'll I'll take. I take every a time. six. I take a six o'clock kickoff. Now come November, now we're talking about a, a noon one o'clock start. There was I was thinking about it. As I was driving to the game, I was trying to remember the last time we had a kickoff before noon. It had to have been like in the nineties. It it probably was when we still had AstroTurf and it was considered Rice Stadium. <laughs> uh, and, yeah, you're and, probably right. And there were forty three fans in attendance <laughs> on average. I remember going to those games. I went to yeah. those games with you. And so we got got there and sat in the student section, first come, first served, and uh... and and at halftime in the third quarter, oh, it was still first come, first served. <laughs> there was nobody there. And I think wasn't it free to come in at halftime? Yeah, yes. I mean those were those were kind of the the Mafu days when uh, you know the program was not in its uh, its peak form by any means, but. Uh, it has been a while since we've had early kickoffs around there. There were still pine trees in the in the south end zone <laughs> when uh, when that was taking place. 
And and Marcroft was still on the call in this the cowboy boots. Really it was, off the rails. It was 1945. The blue spruces had birds chirping. The astroturf was harder than hell. And, and it looked just like my hair. And Mafu was ro- roaming the sidelines. And the Utes won 45-13 against the foes of SMU. <laughs> this has been your Ute moment. Thank you, Bill. <laughs> okay, jumping back. That was a f- that was kind of fun to experience. And trip down memory lane. Trip down memory lane. Now we're back. We're back. See, that's what that's what the hot sun did to us. It got us it got us a little off course there a little bit. I'm gonna stay off course for just a minute. Shocker. What on earth happened that was quote unquote new? <laughs> the enhancements. The enhancements yeah. of the game day experience. I get the band, Literally nothing changed. The band was mic'd. But I guess <laughs> but they it did wasn't that last even year. Yeah, it was mic'd, but it, when we were sitting clear across the stadium. You hear two different bands. You hear the one coming through the speaker and the live one across the field. They're not even together. It was a nice echo. I, now, I will say that the new play-by-play guy, the uh, the new in-stadium ha- in announcer, I thought he did well. Yeah, he's he, got some energy. He does. You could actually yeah. hear him. You could hear him. He's got a nice, loud, clear voice. So I will say that was definitely an improvement. I didn't get the drums for the first down thing. I didn't hear those or what it was. I- there was nothing first down going on, and and normally, kind of the uh, that north uh, that northwest corner, they that whole section kind of has their cheers going on for a first down. They didn't even know what to do, so it even kind of the start of this new tradition killed an old tradition of a tradition that didn't even take place. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, I liked the fourth quarter cannons. Yeah, what were those? What happened? There, there wasn't cannons. There wasn't the, the pregame, the team coming out of the tunnel, awful. It was all of a sudden like, oh, they're there. They're running out. There was no buildup. I'm sorry. I'm getting on my soapbox here, but I was kind of expecting to see some nice enhancements. I didn't see anything. I definitely agree with what you guys are saying. I'm not a fan of the 11 o'clock kickoff, especially this early. And I think the defense wasn't either. So in the first half, they gave up 233, 233 yards. Really, I mean, I, I watched the game again uh, over the weekend. Just blown assignments all over the place. And I know a lot of guys got in when Blackman got injured. Lucky Fotu didn't play. Even the linebackers, though, Devin Lloyd and Francis Bernard, they, they got lost at times, missed assignments, uh, let some big plays. But they really buckled down and held NIU to 60 yards in the second half. No scores, what you said, Scott. So, I mean, overall, I, I, I guess it's, it's successful for the defense because they were able to kind of grow from their mistakes, but definitely something they can't do against a team like USC in a week. No, no. Th- that secondary is going to be tested, and I'm sorry. Let's all let's all start saying prayers. Let's call um, Fernando. Let's call Fernando. Get some let's get, curses. Let's get him on the line. We've got to keep our secondary healthy. Backups at safety. It was so it, it was, was good to see rough. Blackman come back in after he left with uh, looked like a little bit of an injury. Now, granted, yeah. it's it's you know those guys for both uh, R.J. Hubert and Nigel King really their first reps, and so they're gonna they're gonna make some mistakes. 
Nigel King on that long touchdown pass from uh, from NIU. Just kind of uh, bit on the double move, got out of position, couldn't recover. Um, and and guys need those experiences, right? They yeah, got to grow. Need, they need those reps. They need those reps. And so, you know, that mistake is going to help him down the road. And at some point in the season, we're going to, you know, guys are going to get dinged up, whether it's for a full game, whether it's just for a series or two. But uh, hopefully those guys can take those reps, and even though they maybe didn't perform as, as they would like or the coaches would like, they're gonna get they're gonna get other opportunities. But I'll tell you what, Blackman Burgess. Now that these guys are dropping interceptions, like uh, two interceptions that were dropped. Jalen had a drop. Blackman had a drop. Did Burgess also have a drop? I can't recall. Blackman ended up with one, but he had another drop. So he's got two on the season, but I think he's also got a couple of drops. But they're going to have to tighten things up, especially against that uh, that the passing attack that we saw from USC over the weekend, and we're going to see right here down in Provo uh, this coming weekend with USC in town. So big tests lie ahead, and and granted, they're going to tighten things up. They're going to they're going to they're going to be be uh, be more prepared to play, and and uh, but that is going to be a concern moving forward. I'll tell you, Bradley and I, what a game for that guy! Three sacks. Really, I'm surprised he did not cause a fumble on that strip sack. He tried to swipe that mm-hmm. thing, and he drilled Bowers so hard. I'm kudos to Bowers for uh, for holding on to that. But you know, he played well. Obviously, Lecky Fotu didn't play. Um, you know, maybe an undisclosed injury on that front, but uh, he should be back for USC. Um, D line, they, they look good in moments, but they have not been that dominating unit that I think we all expected, and that number one unit that they were being considered preseason. Well, I think even Mika Tafua kind of had a rough game as well. Uh, there was a couple chi- couple times he kind of missed containment on the outside, took some bad angles. Um, tackling wasn't what we're used to seeing from him. Um, no, he, and, he he Joe booed a few of those. Um, he had a few swings and misses. So I don't know, yeah, if it was the 11 o'clock kickoff or still just kind of getting the rust off at the beginning of the, of the season. Uh, but hopefully with this warm-up game this Saturday against Idaho State, they can kind of get those details worked out. Okay, so Idaho State's on the horizon. Is it a sellout? Go. It might be a sellout, but it's not going to be a full be, house. Yeah, it'll be a sellout. I, sellout, I don't know if it's a full house. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see because it's, it's a lesser opponent and another day game, so it'll be interesting to see. So kind of shifting over to the offensive side of the ball, Ryan, you kind of mentioned it. The first series, Utah got eight yards, couldn't get pick up that first down. Uh, but after that, they kind of got things going along. So there's some injuries to the offensive line. You know, uh, The center, Umana, was out. Uh, Maya, the right guard, didn't play uh, in this game. So that kind of forced what Nick Ford to move inside to the guard, and Muala played right tackle. The rushing offense, they didn't do great. I think they did okay uh, against NIU and what they're doing on defense. But again, another game where Tyler Huntley doesn't go on his back, no turnovers. That's exactly what you want to see with this Utah offense. I'm pleasantly surprised with how they're protecting Tyler Huntley. Now, granted, he's now throwing the ball 40 times a game and taking five five steps drops, but he they're protecting him when he is throwing the ball. The thing that was concerning from that game was our short 
yardage plays were not working. Third and twos, which with Zach Moss were almost gimmies. He was he was stuffed a number of yeah, times on short yardage situations. It was clear from the from the very first drive that their their defensive scheme was to stop Zach Moss. And they did a fairly good job at it. They were they pretty much wanted Tyler Huntley to beat him. And in as Cam's Cam alluded to that they did a great Tyler Huntley did a great job um the the times that he did throw the ball to overcome that. So do you think that's I don't throw this out to you guys. Do you think that's a cause for concern? Because going forward everyone's going to know to to beat Utah you got to stop Zach Moss and the running game. Well, I think there's a combination of things that happen there. You got you have their defensive scheme which we've already alluded to the fact that they're one of the best defensive lines in the country and they're known for their defense. Plus we were missing two offensive linemen starters as well as guys playing in positions that they haven't been, they didn't play in the first game. So you, you got a couple of things going there. I'm not overly concerned. Um, now, if you in a, play Idaho State this week and Zach Moss is held under 100 yards, he, he probably won't play the whole game. But if, if the same types of things show up again against Idaho State, then maybe that's some room for concern. But I don't think so. Well, I think it's going to come down to teams. Teams are going to come in and they're going to stop their own first and foremost and prove and make Tyler Huntley beat him. Now, if Tyler can continue to complete the complete a high percentage of balls when he's attempting more per game, then it's going to flip things completely. They're not going to be able to stop the run and you're going to you're going to be able to be more balanced. In this game, we had 19 19 pass attempts and 37 runs. You know, so that's a pretty big gap um, from a 50-50 balance. Now, granted, Utah's kind of protecting the lead in that fourth quarter, so they're going to run the ball more um, anyways doing so. So that's going to skew things a little bit. But overall, Utah in these first two games, and and it's no surprise, we knew this going in, Ludwig likes to run the ball. He wants to protect the ball. He wants to control the clock. Kyle wants to do all of those things. So you're going to see that. But I think what to me what I'm most anxious to see is when teams force Tyler to throw the ball. I want to see how effective we can continue to be. Because I'll tell you what, we've I don't think we've got a true number 1 wide receiver, but I think we've got we have a lot of guys that can play football. A lot of guys that can perform at a high level. Sure, are any of them maybe get all Pac-12 first teamers? Probably not. But the but we've got a really good nucleus of guys. I mean, Nakua hasn't even gotten going well, yet. Nakua hasn't been got, going. Britton Covey hasn't done much. Fotheringham. Fotheringham. That's, that's probably the biggest surprise to me is I think Fotheringham has maybe two balls thrown to him this entire season so far. When going in, he was your breakout player. He was He was somebody that everybody was talking about as a guy that would just catch a ton of balls this year. Um. So it'll be interesting to kind of see how that plays out, and and you're going to see it. They they're going to have to be more aggressive. But I'll tell you what, Tyler Huntley, he's kind of taking some heat, which I think is so unfair. The guy's doing exactly what Andy Ludwig and Kyle Winningham are asking him to do. He's protecting the football. Utah's the only team in the entire country who has not allowed a sack and who has not thrown a fumble or thrown an interception. That'd be hard to throw a fumble. The only team in college football that hasn't done those. That's a recipe for success right there. 
He's taking care of the ball. He's playing at a high level. He's he, and and this narrative that he's inaccurate. I don't know where it's coming from. I don't know where people are coming up with this narrative that he is inaccurate throwing the football because it's it couldn't be further from the truth. The stats don't lie. He's ranked number ten in the country in QBR at the moment. It's ridiculous. And this there's just there's just a portion of whether it's media, fan base, people that just want to continue to harp on him because he's because he's not Gardner Minshew out there. It's ridiculous. That's the local media for you. Unfortunately, there's no way you can go through an entire season without committing a turnover or giving up a sack. Oh, just you wait. But they're they're obviously off to a good start. And if this pace continues, there's only going to be good things that come of it. Because if Huntley stays on his feet, he's going to complete passes. I, I I would ask you. I would ask you guys just kind of your thoughts on just the overall feel of the offense. Because I mean, he had nine guys rush the, rush the ball in that game. Nine. You had seven different wide receiver tight ends catch the ball. So they're they're really spreading it out and they're really giving a lot of different guys opportunities and and I like that. I do too. I I've I've really liked what I've seen so far of the offense and um I really like using the speed receivers like Simpkins and Dixon and Covey to stretch the field on those running plays when they come in motion and they get the ball and go around the end. Because that really makes the defense have to think about what's going on, and then you got you know that creates some misdirection on a future play where you've got some some guy in motion too, and it just opens up so many different avenues for the, for the team, and and there's so as you know as you said there's so many guys so many weapons. So I think the thing for, with me with this offense is I don't think we have seen what this offense is fully capable of yet. Oh, not even close. Obviously against BYU, they did not use the playbook at all. Like what you said, Scott, in that episode, is that Ludwig didn't even turn from page one. Now with NIU, I think they went on to page two, probably with Idaho State. They'll probably just work on some simple things that they want to get some game speed at, some reps at. But it's not until USC, I think, until we kind of see more of this offense of what Ludwig really wants to do with it now, and I agree wholeheartedly. I will say, I think Ludwig kind of took his ponytail and let it down a little bit, brushed his <laughs> hair out a little bit when he called that reverse or not reverse the uh, the double pass from uh, for Tyler <laughs> for Britton Covey for Britton Covey. You know, it got a little crazy. I think he flipped <laughs> straight to page ten for that for that one. But we saw uh, uh, we saw uh, Vickers get a get a rush, and and Winningham said they have packages for him built on the offense. So yeah, I think we saw a little bit. We got a little glimpse of it here and there against NIU. Uh, I don't think we'll see a lot of it in against Idaho State. But two weeks, I think we're going to start seeing this offense really start building upon what they want to do. Those are kind of our overall thoughts uh, from the NIU game. And it looks like we have Kenneth Scott on the line. Before we bring him on, I'll let you know that's brought to you by Farmers Insurance for protecting your home, vehicle, and family. Look to Farmers Insurance. Call Scott Omer at 801-307-4046 and check him out on Twitter at Scott underscore Omer 8. All right, join us on the phone now. A Ute legend in his own right, fan favorite, Kenneth Scott. K. Scott, how are you doing, buddy? 
Man, doing awesome, doing magnificent. I'm glad to be on here, that's for sure. But how you guys doing? Hey, Utes are 2-0. and Not much to complain about there, right? You are not lying. It's better to be 2-0 than 0-2. So I'm definitely <laughs> feeling really, really good about this. So the Utes, as we mentioned, 2-0. and uh, In the first two weeks, what are you seeing out of the offense that's kind of getting you excited as a former player? Definitely no turnovers, which is awesome. <laughs> Gotta love that, even from uh, a supporter point of view. Um, but what I do like is obviously uh, Moss and him running with the confidence as he's been, you know, basically, you know, because injuries are hard, right? Uh, especially the knee injury that he's had, had, he's had. And so just seeing him run very hard, like he, you know, we all know him to do coming back from the injury is great to see. Hunley coming back the way he's coming back, especially after that collarbone injury or shoulder injury. Um, so that's really good to see. Um, but, you know, I've, I've also loved Britton Covey the way he's, uh, you know, looked so far as far as his movement. So, so far, so good. I'm just loving, I'm just, I got to give kudos to the guys that's coming back from injuries because I know how hard that is. So I got to give kudos to them first. Okay, Scott. So Andy Ludwig, two games into his return to Utah, give us a, just give us your thoughts as you've watched those first two games of his offense. Obviously, it's you know they've been pretty conservative in these first two games with pretty you know minimal competition, um, BYU included in that. But just 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 give me your thoughts on what what you're seeing out of this uh, out of this offense. Um, one of my uh, some of my thoughts are you know the offense is trying to be more efficient as far as uh, limiting, you know, uh, turnovers. So that's good, even though I wish they were passing the ball more. <laughs> but, you know, uh, they're doing it the right things. Um, they're doing it well. Uh, moving the ball slowly but surely. Uh, doing what Utah does best, and that's take care of the football, run the ball, throw when we need to, and when we do throw, make sure we convert. So um, they're doing good on that end. I, I wish they got the tight ends more involved because I think we have a good group of tight ends and also a good group of uh, young receivers. We've seen Dixon uh, last week have some big plays and uh, Thompson have some big plays. And, you know, I'm looking forward to uh, the receivers getting more involved with the offense as weeks come. Kind of a follow-up to that. Early on, Tyler Huntley's spreading the ball around. Uh, last game, seven different guys caught balls from him. And then in the running game, nine different guys ran the ball. From an offensive standpoint, what does that do when so many guys are getting involved? Um, you know, with that, it makes the defense not key on one person, right? You have a whole plethora of people that you now have to account for. And so, you know, with that, you know, it evens out the playing field. Not everybody's not focusing on one guy like Moss or loading the box or even uh, focusing on one receiver. You know, actually, the defense really has to play fair now. Um, and so that's that's the best part about spreading the ball around. I I agree with you on that. But is there a, is, is there at some point during the season where it's going to be important that there is a go to receiver, a number one receiver that you just can count on to go go up and get a ball? Um, I mean, you would want that, but to be honest with you, nowadays you every offense has their go-to type of receiver in every situation. Like if it's a third down, it don't necess- the, the receiver necessarily doesn't have to be able to do everything, right? There's not a receiver. Well, obviously there are some receivers that can do literally everything, but you have your receivers that 
you know who you can trust on getting a third down. You have your receiver that you know can go deep. You have your receiver that you know can go across the middle that's not scared to catch a ball in traffic, to catch the 50-50 ball. So this necessarily doesn't have to be a true number one receiver as long as those qualities of the receivers can be able to do those things such as, you know, like I say, you know, in those moments, catch third bounce. In those moments, be able to go downfield. So I don't really care too much about having that one receiver. If you have a, like, uh, I remember Colorado a couple of years back had like three receivers, three or four receivers that were capable of doing all of those. And so it makes them offense more dominant rather than focusing on just one receiver. Cause if that one receiver gets hurt, now where are you at? <laughs> you know, so, um, for me, it's not really looking for a true number one wide receiver. It's just as long as we know who we have and their characteristics that can implement the offense being better. So, okay, Scott, Kyle Winningham's getting a lot of attention again this season. I mean, not only is the program, you know, ranked top 15, a lot of people have him as a top 10 team, but just how lucky are Utah fans to have a coach such as a Kyle Winningham leading this program? Man, so lucky, man, so lucky. Uh, Coach Winningham is one of those hard-nosed type of coaches, right? Um, you can really see it, how disciplined he is as a person, and it definitely uh, transpires onto the, us as a team. So that definitely plays a big, huge factor, man. Uh, Coach Whittingham plays a big part in everyone's development, too. So that's off to him. Uh, he's going to continuously uh, you know, develop our group of guys, not only on the field, but off the field as well. And looking ahead to the game this weekend uh, when they play Idaho State, um, as a former player, is it hard to to get up for a game that for a, when you're playing a lesser opponent? Lesser opponent? Um, no, it's it's not actually harder, right? Because everybody's trying to do their best at every, you know, every game, you know. And so, even though it's a opponent that people are kind of not not a hype about um it's one of those games where you need because now you really have to uh focus on the little things because you never know they can come in and beat us and they're gonna be hyped up just like how northern illinois was when he first came in the game um very hyped up and so you just truly tests your you know mentality as far as okay you're gonna come out here every play be efficient be able to dominate the opponent no matter if they're d1 double a d3 doesn't matter i'm gonna come out here do my 111 so uh, Coach Whittingham and staff does a great job of not letting players get too big-headed to where they overlook opponents. Kyle talks all the time about one game at a time, right? Inside the program, that's what you have to do is focus on the job at hand. Now, as we're not inside the program, we're fans. We're already overlooking Idaho State. <laughs> USC's on the horizon. USC, you know, with a true freshman quarterback, um, they looked pretty good the other night. And they got so many weapons. So looking forward to that game, Utah has not won ever. In the history of Utah football, they've never won in the Coliseum. What's it going to take to to get that win, which really is going to be crucial in that South Division race? Whoever comes out in the, with the win in that game is in the driver's seat. So what is Utah... What do they got to do to break through on the road at USC? Uh, I take care of the football. That's that's priority number one. Um, that, that's going to be a difference maker. Um, taking whoever take care of whoever takes care of the football the best is going to win that game. And so 
that's what it really boils down to if we play lights out defense like we've been doing. And also if we, you know, take care of the football, make some big plays, Moss does what he does. I don't see there's no reason why we can't beat that uh, USC team. When the youths were being talked about in the preseason with all this hype about uh, you know winning the Pac-12, possibly you know going to the Rose Bowl, or even possibly a berth in the playoffs, did you buy into that hype? And then after these first two games, after what you've seen, do you think there's still a possibility of that? I mean, of course we got the potential, um, just like every other team. But it's truly about maximizing every opportunity. So like these games right now against the Idaho State and Northern Illinois, we have to make a statement. Um, that's plain and simple. You see like the Alabamas, they're making statements and being dominant across all boards to, to where you know, okay, it's clear cut that they're number one. They belong in a playoff. We have to do the same thing. We have to put up big numbers. We have to truly dominate uh, every, every phase of the game as if we were, you know, recommending that college playoff. So um, I think – we're working towards that. I don't think we're quite there just yet because um, I believe we got to have some dominant performances, you know, against these, uh, you know, lower ranked teams to actually solidify ourselves to be mentioned uh, with those uh, like Alabama's and, uh, you know, like the, the Clemson did well in their first game. I forgot what they did last game, but, you know, just to solidify ourselves uh, to be top ranked and uh, with the other folks. So, okay, Scott, you know, when you were in the Utah program, it was, you know, just at the end of the Mountain West, beginning of of the Pac-12 play, and and really laying that foundation uh, for a P5 program. As we're talking, you know, and people are talking nationally about this Utah team being uh, a contender for the Pac-12. What kind of things do you think this coaching staff has done to kind of build that program to get it where it is today compared to when you played? Um, that's tough, man. I think the best thing that the coaches have done in regards to that was just, you know, recruit more players as far as the, that's for that talent pool. Um, and the competition breeds, you know, a great competitor out each, each and every one of us because each day we're playing against a, a guy that wanted more. I believe our, our program is really based upon like those underdogs. And so, um, you know, Coach Witt and staff, you know, be recruiting those guys that are going to go balls to the wall every play, every down, have that chip on their shoulder. And so, um, yeah, I think it's all about in recruiting. So the, the, this, Ute, uh, this Ute secondary, the defense in general, just the strength of this team kind of year in and year out. You know, you've got guys like Jalen Johnson, Blackman in the, who moved to the sec, uh, in the safety position, uh, Tyreek Lewis on the other side. So, Kay Scott, where are you at? Could, can you still today, could you take Jalen Johnson? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, I, you know, I, for me, I'm more of a physical guy. So, um, what I would do with him, you know, obviously my game was, you know, being physical, boxing people out. You know, I played against guys that were 6'3", 210. Uh, you know, so for me, I would, you know, for me against going against him, I would – I will still use my potty against them. And the vertical game with me, throw the ball up in the air, I'm going to go get it. Um, and I, knowing me, that's knowing how to position my body. Um, and so, you know, it would be a great contender to go against. But, you know, I used to go against Eric Rose, the, the Keith McGill. Keith McGill is a freak athlete, 6'4", 220 at corner. Like, come on now, like, how are you going to get around him? <laughs> so Eric, Eric Rowe and, you know, those guys like that, not to take anything away from, you know, Jalen Johnson, he's doing a tremendous job, but, 
you know, I, you know, I'm gonna let him have his shine because he's doing a great job. But uh, I think I'd be able to get him. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> gay Scott, again, thanks so much for, uh, for jumping on with us. Uh, before we let you go, I you know, ask you two part question. One, uh, can you give an update to you fans? Kind of let them know what you're doing. Um, nowadays in your life and then if you have any predictions for this utah team this season yeah right now what i'm doing my life is just being a family man uh you know living out here in houston one of my main things once i got done playing even when i was playing was just being back around family so now i'm just working me and my fiance my daughter spend the time with my like my houston family out here that i didn't get a chance to grow up with you know i was born out here in texas but i was raised in california so um, all my family was out in Texas. So just me being a family man now and, you know, enjoying my youth, uh, taking it away. And so, you know, my predictions for them is just to, uh, you know, just trying to become better each and every week. Um, ultimately my goal for them is to win the Pac-12 South. I believe this will be a great year to do it. And I don't see why they can't do it. And so that's my prediction here is this year is just for them to get in the Pac-12 South, I mean, win the Pac-12 South, win the Pac-12 championship. And in the hopes, you know, being talks of that, uh, you know, the big game in the college playoffs. Awesome. K. Scott, thanks again for jumping on, buddy. Yeah, we really appreciate oh, it. Oh, no problems. Oh, no problem. I appreciate you guys for calling me, even though it's laid out for you guys. But I appreciate you guys. All right. Thanks, man. We'll be in touch. Thanks, K. Scott. All right. Take care. K. Scott, a fan favorite. It's. I mean, we've had him on a couple times now on the show. And, I mean, I want to continue doing it because – I, I love it. Always, always brings back great memories of him playing for the Utes. He's a he's a he's a stud, and uh, I, I I love talking to him. Just listening to him talk because he's he's got so much energy. Still, I still think, man, he sh- he should be a coach. He should be a recruiter. He would kill it. But uh, but ha- glad that he's happy. Things are well for him in Houston, and uh, hopefully he can get back up here for a, for a game or two. And uh, um, but yeah, great memories for what he did for the program he'd kill it as a recruiter for utah he he loves that program you can tell him when he talks about it oh and i think that's one thing i love that winningham does with this program is when we talk to recruits guys that come in the program they talk about the brotherhood that's there and it extends once they graduate and you can tell when you talk to guys like k scott who stay connected with the program who he doesn't have to he's in houston it's not easy watching Pac-12 games when you're not on a completely different time zone. Mm-hmm. So that it's kudos. not easy watching Pac-12 games in Utah. <laughs> <laughs> so typically around this time of the show, we talk about the future opponent of Utah. This week, Utah hosts FCS, Idaho State. I don't have much. Well, we, <laughs> I'm not we, gonna lie. We've got an extensive breakdown on this. <laughs> we'll, we'll turn the time over to Ryan. Thank you and good night. <laughs> I do have just a, a, I want to ask you because I don't know your guys' opinion on this. I have my own. What do you guys think of Utah scheduling an FCS school? It's kind of become the norm the last couple of years. What do you think? Well, it, as a fan, it's not awesome, but you see why the school does it. I, I mean, Alabama does it, Florida does it. It's just the way it's it's kind of like the warm up games before their conference the conference play starts. You don't want you want to get wins, you don't want to get your players banged up uh cuz you're you, you want to save them for what's important, which is the conference. Um well, and it's it's to an extent it's it's important for those those programs because those are the money games. Those are those are the games that fund those programs. So they need it essentially. 
But you know, and I got no problem with it. I will say, I think we've, I think we've overdone it a little bit. It's just there's, it's hard to get excited for these first two home games, and it's kind of how it is every year. We just don't have any, we don't have a lot of exciting home games outside of out of outside the conference, and that was obviously the. Um, probably what Kyle wants. He probably wants to dumb it down a little bit with conference play and, uh, with, uh, with Dr. Hill, um, and, and his philosophy. It, it looks like with Arkansas being on the program and we do have Baylor coming up. Yeah, we have Baylor coming up. So hopefully I think we're, we're going to start to see a little bit better competition. Um, which as a season ticket holder, I'm all for, right? I'd much rather go play. A Baylor or an Arkansas, because you still have a good chance to win that game, and if you win it, that's good pub. Well, remember when Utah opened up against Michigan? Huge. It was that was mm-hmm. huge. It was all over national media. It was a nationally televised game, and it got it the was, fans going from the get go. Exactly, it was Harbaugh's first game. They brought in the Harbus for that, and obviously, I mean, you can't. They always, all were wearing khaki pants. <laughs> you can't always predict that when you're scheduling these games out you know, five, seven years. So who knows what Arkansas or Baylor will look like when they finally come into Salt Lake. But I agree. I, as a fan, I, I don't really like it, but everyone's doing it. You you kind of have to do it yourselves. Just as because a everyone does it does not mean it's right, Cam. <laughs> and I don't mean any disrespect to Idaho State. Sure you do. It, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it, it should be a blowout by halftime. So, but Utah does open up Pac-12 play the following week, a Friday night game against USC in Southern California, and we'll have a breakdown of of, of that game next week. But just kind of looking ahead, because I know the players aren't allowed to, but we can as fans, that's going to be a big game, and it could be a game that determines the Pac-12 South early on in the season. Yeah, I I think it's huge for the fact that uh, they seem to be playing a lot better than anybody anticipated, especially with a true freshman quarterback who was kind of more of an afterthought. But but the way he looked, now granted, it was one game. Stanford Stanford did not play well, um, and we're gonna get some more tape on him, and 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 he's gonna come back to earth a little bit. But don't get me wrong. Even when they, even when they're somewhat incompetent, they're they're a tough team because of they're the talent points. level that they have. So if they if they get things rolling, the fact that we've never won inside the Coliseum, it just makes that game absolutely monumental. Yeah, and and obviously they're they're coming into Provo this weekend, and and based off of what we saw against Stanford, we I think we all anticipate USC winning that one fairly easily. Um, and if that's the case. Then both schools will be three and zero going into that game Friday night, and it's going to be pivotal for the South South Division because whoever whoever loses that game has got to hope and pray that somebody I mean, else beats. Well, that. if you lose that game, you really have to make up two games. You do, you do, because yeah. they because the tiebreaker. I think that's why this game is so important. And and again, it's just one game, right? It's just it's only one game that Slovis had. But I mean, almost 400 yards passing just as a true freshman, like that, that's impressive. It's amazing. He, he he played well. But I will say, you know, a lot of what we expected out of the conference preseason has changed after two weeks. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, we thought we thought we were kind of hitting the hitting the lottery here. The fact that we didn't have to play Stanford and we got Cal instead and we didn't have to play Oregon, right? Now obviously it's it's still good we don't have to play Oregon, but Cal's looking Cal's looking better than Stanford at this point. Yeah. And and I'll tell you Colorado's a, to me is a big surprise. They've looked now, granted, they've given up a lot of points in both games, so I'm not sure how how strong that defense really is, or how good Nebraska really is. Because, but they but they've they've been able to score points yeah. at will. I mean, you had a senior quarterback in Montez that huge dividends for you. They were yeah. I mean, they were down what seventeen nothing? seventeen nothing, and they scored. What did they end up scoring in that fourth quarter? Um, what was I don't even know twenty four points or something. But it was it was insane, and and uh, so they. They're they're one of those teams that hopefully could provide some some if Utah were to slip up against USC, they and Arizona actually played pretty well over the weekend. Now, granted, it was Northern Arizona that they were playing, but hopefully some of these teams can rise up and maybe create a little bit more uh, tougher competition um, along the along the way. It is funny because we always say wacky things kind of happen every year in the Pac-12, and I mean it's holding true, and it started even wackier early on in the season. All right, so obviously I don't think we're thinking this game this week will be will be close, and Utah can get a, a guys a lot of rest, especially on the offensive line, uh, to get them healthy for USC. So kind of uh, as we go into our Pac-12 picks, last week I went 2-2. Two and two. San Diego, you guys bailed me out. San Diego. Uh, San Diego beat UCLA. 23 to 14. They snap a losing streak of 23 games against the Bruins. Washington Cal. Cal beats Washington again two That's years in a row. In the middle of the night. Did anybody watch it? <laughs> two and a half hour rain delay. Uh, Cal kicks a field goal without eight, eight seconds left to win that. And then, as we mentioned, USC just thumps the trees 45 to 20. Slovos, 137, 377 yards, three touchdowns. Kid looked like he was on fire. So this week, the games we're going with ASU is at Michigan State. Michigan State's a 12-point favorite. Scott, it's your week to go first. Who do you got? I'm going to go at Michigan State. I think, I mean, huge for the conference if ASU can uh, can pick that up. I just they, they just looked horrendous the other night. At home against no less. Troy Taylor, yeah, against uh, against Troy Taylor and uh, Jaden Daniels' uh, uh, favorite coach in Troy. So, um, I, I'm going to go with Michigan State on this. I, I think, uh, being that it's on the road, they're pretty young in some key spots. I, I'll go with Michigan State. Yeah, me too. I I think uh, ASU uh, to me hasn't shown anything yet to make me want to say that they can go on the road in that atmosphere and environment up at Michigan State and win, so go with the Spartans. So I know the the Sun Devils got the win last year against Michigan State in kind of an ugly game. Michigan State has things figured out more this year than they did last year when they played, so I'll take the Spartans. The next game, Texas Tech is traveling to Arizona. The Red Raiders are favored by four and a half. Scott, who are you taking? Oh, that should be a good game. I uh, Texas, Texas is playing well, and our old boy is running the football well down there for the Red Raiders. I would have, I, I would go Texas Tech, but Arizona, they looked completely different than uh, in their opener. So I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna actually go, uh, I'm gonna go with Arizona on that one. 
Wow. Right? Yeah, I thought Arizona was pretty impressive last week. Obviously, it was, like Scott said, only Northern Arizona that they played. Um, but they, they threw 50-plus points on the board. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say Arizona wins that one. I want to pack the pack on this one. Texas X been playing well the, for the first two games. I, I, I'm going to go with the Red Raiders on that one. And the last Pac-12 game we're going with, USC is traveling to Provo to take on the team down south. USC right now is a four-point favorite. Scott, where are you going? Uh, I mean, that's pretty easy. I mean, I know, I know BYU fans are back on the national title bandwagon here, but... Uh... After after their their last win, but I, I think I think it's pretty obvious that uh, USC is going to go in there with their athleticism. They're going to cause fits for that uh, G five. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm only basing it off of what we saw against Stanford, but the way they move the ball against Stanford, I don't see how they can't move it against BYU. And I think it's going to be a fairly easy win for the Trojans. I agree. I'm going to take the dirty Trojans on that one. I think Greg Rubel tweeted out that BYU's rushing defense has actually gotten worse the last couple of years, and right now they're one of the worst in the country. Even Tennessee led in that game for the whole game till the very end, and Tennessee's not good at all. So I think the Trojans go down. I think the Trojans win by two scores. Oh, BYU's lucky. I mean, and 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 I'm 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 really not trying to rip on BYU, but that is how athletic and how how much talent USC has, and that is that is what BYU struggles with was is teams like that, and 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 they're playing well. I I think I think they win pretty handily, and and I think I think we got our hands full with them a week later. So I'm you know this again, it's not a slide. I think it's just the reality of how USC is looking so far. And the last game we're going to do is Utah hosting Idaho State. Scott, who do you got and what's your score? Uh, I got the Utes big. Um, I think they throw 50 up on the board. Wow. I think uh, I think they're uh, they've they've got they've got to get some confidence flowing offensively and and I think obviously against this type of opponent, I think uh, I think they run big. So I'm going to go 50 to 12. Right? I go kind of in the same boat. I think I was thinking 50 plus as well, so I'm going to say 55-10 Utah. I think Utah wins 42-10. I think Winningham kind of pulls the dogs off in the fourth quarter, just kind of runs the clock out. So that will do it for this episode. Ryan, where can people find you on Twitter? At Drum and Feather. Drum, the letter N, Feather. And Scott? Yeah, Ute Man underscore forever. Come party. Let's go Utes. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Utah Man Podcast. You can catch our shows on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, anywhere to listen to a podcast. We are there. And also at our home, utahmanpodcast.com. And go Utes. Go Utes. Go Utes. We'll be telling that guy. Yay. We're good. Let's cut it. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are their own and are no way affiliated with the University of Utah.